Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Mad Max Minute, where it's time to reassemble our main characters in Mad Max to the Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 84, which begins with the gyro captain returning to the chase, and it ends with raiders on the tanker closing in on Max. We mentioned that Max got a little bit of a reprieve yesterday, that four seconds between him taking out the red car and those raiders on the motorcycle blowing out his tire. Well, in this minute, there's a bit of a longer reprieve, I'd say, because this minute is a lot of setup for tomorrow. No one really bothers Max. He's just driving for essentially this whole minute. This minute. Wow. Yeah, we just kind of find out where everybody's at, Mm -hmm. literally. And we get a very nice overview from the point of view of the gyro captain, get to see what's going on and who is where. And that's really kind of it. Yeah. I think the biggest benefit to us as viewers in this minute is definitely those high shots from where the gyro captain is. Because right at the top of this minute, the gyro captain is seen flying back into the chase. He hasn't been around, I think, for like seven or eight days of the podcast. I feel like we haven't really caught sight of him since that whole thing with the Lord Humongous shooting him with the gun and then him flying off as the horde chases the tanker over the ridge. I feel like it's been that long. It has been a really long time since we've talked about him. It's nice to know that that gunshot really didn't take him out of commission all that much. No, I I think it really did just... Like graze him or something? Right, surprise him, make him more wary of what he was doing. Mm. Of, you know, flying low in and dropping cocktails. Yeah, he's actually flying really high in this scene. He is. We talk about how amazing gyrocopters are all the time, constantly. But it never really occurred to me how high they could fly. I think the only real limit on how high a gyrocopter can fly is how much the pilot can stand it. Right. Just thinking about the obstacles of height. Mm-hmm. Because so you have air temperature, the higher you go, the windier it gets. And once you start getting really high, the air starts getting thin. Yeah. I feel like you got to get pretty high before the air starts getting real thin, though. Yeah, I think so. I don't think the gyrocaptain would fly that high. No. But even so, he is definitely at a higher altitude than we've seen him flying before. I think so, yes. And as I said before, the benefit of this angle is that we're able to see so much of the area. We get to see a lot of the trail of raiders behind the tanker. We get to see another group down below the gyro captain, and it looks like Papagallo is rejoining the chase. Ugh, this annoys me, because when Papagallo took off several minutes ago, we tried to count Mm-hmm. Who went off with him? Yep, that was back in minute 78. Whew, so he's been gone a long time, too. Six minutes he's been gone. Yeah. So as we catch an overhead view of him, we see the same number of vehicles that he left with. Mm-hmm. Now, I counted two motorcycles and two cars, and you saw three motorcycles. motorcycles. And at least one buggy. Yes. And at this height and with this much dust, it's really difficult to see... 
to really get a good idea of what is what. But we ha- we counted the same number of vehicles. More or less. And yeah. it's the same number of vehicles that he left with. Yeah. When he veered off to the side to lead some people away, we counted how many people left with him. And now that he's coming back to the chase, he's got the same amount of people. And so he's been gone for six minutes of movie time. And granted, six minutes of movie time is not the same as six minutes of real time, but you'd imagine Papagallo being a good leader and trying to aggressively defend the tanker and the compound. You think he would have taken a few steps to, I don't know, fight the raiders? Right. Maybe get rid of some of these guys that are chasing him? Yeah. Oh, gosh. We check in with Papagallo fairly close up. He's not doing anything. He's just driving. He doesn't even have a weapon out. Mm-hmm. It makes it look like he doesn't even have a weapon in the car. Which is so dumb. I don't get it. Why doesn't he have a crossbow and is trying to take out the drivers around him? In some shots, not always, but in some shots, he actually has a little wrist-mounted crossbow that he probably took from one of the raiders that infiltrated the compound. But it's not very consistent, like, they'll show one shot with him wearing it and then one shot with him not wearing it. It's a production error. Right. I kind of wonder if the prop didn't work out. So at some point during the shooting, they were like, we can't. Let's get rid of it. Yeah. But I look at him glancing left, glancing right, looking at all these guys around him, and I can't help but think that he's wondering why he didn't do more to take these guys out. Because he led all of these dudes away from the chase, and now he's leading them right back. Like, did he think that he would just lose them? I mean, they're not driving on pavement. He can't outrun them. No. And same argument from the opposite side of it. These raiders that followed him, they didn't attack him either. Yeah. They're all driving very civilly. Yes. Which is so strange. Yeah. Why aren't they shooting Papagallo with a crossbow? Why aren't they taking out his tires? Why aren't they throwing grappling hooks at him? The only explanation as to why these raiders are doing nothing more than just following Papagallo is that they want to follow him back to a rendezvous point or something like that. He's broken off from the group in an effort to lead them away. And so they must be thinking, well, taking him out won't do us any good. Let's just follow him. Which interesting that Papagallo would catch on to that. It's just, this is one of those instances where I want to side with you in having a negative view of Papagallo. He just, Mm -hmm. he's such a charismatic guy. I don't want to just throw him under the bus, but he just makes such weird decisions sometimes. Right. It's like he doesn't defend himself from getting thrown under the bus. Yeah. He just lets it happen. Sometimes he does things that are like cool and it make me like him. And then he does this. Nothing. Then he does nothing. Yeah. Not great tactical decision, really. He should have stayed around and just driven more defensively. Maybe it would have given Zeta and the mechanic a bit more opportunity to throw Molotovs instead of Bearclaw Mohawk being able to ride up on the mechanic the way he did and shoot him with a crossbow. You know what might have been cool is if Papagallo somehow with clever driving or something that, you know, I could never manage, got himself behind the Raiders so that he could, from behind, start picking them off. Yeah. So the raider group is being condensed from both sides. Yeah. Like, that would have been a better decision. He pulls off from the road, leads the other raiders around a little bit, and then rejoins the chase behind everybody. Yeah. And then just starts, like, rear-ending dudes. Yeah. I mean, the motorcycle's easy. You just bump them enough and they go down. Exactly. All of this preparation that they did, and I'm talking about the compound prepping for this 
excursion. Yeah, they fixed up the Lone Wolf so that it was in good working order, but they didn't add any weapons to it. Like, a big old push bar on the front of the Lone Wolf would have been very effective against those motorcycles. It would have. Like, literally, just mount a big old piece of rebar big old wide piece of rebar on the front of that thing and just use it to push people and Mm -hmm. it would knock the motorcycles right over. They also should have mounted a turret on the back of it. Yeah. Which we've discussed the large turrets that they had in the compound. The flamethrower one and the bolt one. The scorpion. The scorpion, yes. Either of those designs could have been repeated on the back of the tanker, on the back of the lone wolf. I think bringing only one spare car was a mistake. Yeah. Like, I understand that they wanted to get as many civilians in the convoy and away from there as possible. Agreed. But the people stationed on the tanker did absolutely no good. I think they would have been better used if they were driving. Yeah. Even if they only had two cars, one driver, which could have been Zeta and Papagallo, with two people manning the turret, which could have been the mechanic, and Virginia. Yeah. And with intelligent driving and crafty driving, I think they could have done more damage to the Marauder group. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As it stands, the compound team hasn't been doing a great job, and I don't want to spend all day in speculation land. As the gyro captain is flying over all of these groups, like I said, we get a good look at the trail of people behind the tanker, we get a good look at Papagallo, and as the gyro captain is flying more or less parallel to the road, we get to see the good lineup, and we get to see all the raiders crawling all over the tanker, and there's one detail in this big shot of the gyro captain flying along the road. There is a motorcycle just ahead and to the left of the rig, and it's not really doing anything. It's just hanging out there. It's not trying to shoot out tires. It's not trying to get in front of the tanker to slow it down. It's just hanging out there, not doing much of all. Mm -hmm. I chalk that up to when you have a group of cars moving down the road, they're in constant motion relative to each other. Just look how you drive down the highway. Yeah. Even if you're trying to stay with somebody, you don't. People are constantly moving back and forth and gaining on each other and changing lanes. So I think that's just part of having a large group of vehicles driving down the road. Mm. I was able to count eight cars slash buggies and six motorcycles. I would have to say that's a very soft count because it was very difficult. Every time the gyrocopter like changed perspective a little bit, like another motorcycle would pop up. Or a motorcycle that I thought was a car, it now looks like a motorcycle. <laughs> so it was very difficult to count. I changed my count several times, but I landed on eight vehicles and six motorcycles. Ooh, that is so many vehicles. It is. Especially when you take into account that, like Humongous's truck and like the snake truck, they have spare people aboard. Yeah. That have done recently or are about to use their spare people to board the tanker. Yeah. Or spare people to man guns. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the compound dwellers have only taken out, let's see, one buggy, and that was at the expense of Zeta. They've taken out one Fairline, and that was because of a well-placed Molotov. The red car is gone, but that was at the expense of both the mechanic and Virginia. Yeah. Technically, that red car also took out a buggy and two motorcycles, but the books are not balanced on this battle No, at not all. at all. And it's only going to get worse because we see Wes perched on the edge of the snake truck, and he's coming up alongside the tanker, and he's got something in his hand that we're going to figure out what it is tomorrow because he's 
going to start using it. It's a flail. It's a big old stick attached to a chain attached to a spiked ball. But he's carrying this weapon, and Bearclaw Mohawk is up on top of the rig, and Bearclaw Mohawk grabs one end of the weapon, Wes grabs the other, and he gets up on top of the tanker. I really enjoyed the clever use of the weapon. And it's the second time that we've seen them work together, like, this week. Yes, it is. They are such a good team when it comes to marauding. <laughs> yes. And being raiders. Yes, they are a good team. And in fact, it was Bearclaw Mohawk that took possession of Wes after Humongous choked him out. Yeah. And Bearclaw, with Wes sat in a sidecar and held him in place as the horde drove away. Yeah. It makes me wonder if, like, they're related in some way. Like, the reason these two raiders are always seen together is more than just them being in the same faction. Like, maybe they're, like, brothers or cousins. At the very least, I would say they have a history that bonds them together. Yeah. Maybe not as close as being blood-related, but maybe they knew each other. Maybe they served in the military together before the collapse. Mm -hmm. I would definitely say they have some sort of bond. Because mm. we don't really see other people work together so well. Okay, we do see the bad cop cut the chains of Wes. That was working together, especially cross-faction. That was very nice to see. Yeah. Other than that, I can't bring to mind any other particular examples of unity. Yeah, not really. I guess that's a mark of the bad guys. I guess. <laughs> While all of these dudes are getting up on the tanker, Max is over in the cab and he is struggling to reload his shotgun one-handed. He's got the shotgun wedged underneath his arm and he is holding onto the wheel with one hand and he's loading the shotgun with the other hand. It's classic... I can't hold on to the wheel with both hands, so I'm going to try and steer it any way I can, multitasking. It's it's not ideal. No, it's not. Although, I have to give credit where credit's due to George Miller that he's not doing this whole magic shotgun thing. That we actually have to watch him reload? Yes, that Max actually has to reload. It's not easy. It causes problems for him down the road. Him reloading the shotgun is part of the action. And that's very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. Especially the first thing that comes to mind was video games. Yes, you have to reload in video games, but it's so freaking easy. Yeah. It's not how you actually reload. It's like one quick hand motion and you've reloaded. No, that's not how it is. And it doesn't take up as much time as it really would in a firefight. Very unrealistic. This scene with Max, I think, is fairly realistic. Oh, absolutely. From Max struggling to reload the shotgun, we rejoin Bearclaw Mohawk and Wes, and they are going through the motion of getting on the tanker. I know I mentioned it before, but this is where they actually get on there. And what stood out to me in this shot is the expression on Wes's face. I find his excitement very infectious. <laughs> he loves nothing more than to just raid and maraud and destroy and just wreck things. And the look of glee on his face as he's mounting up onto that tanker, it's delightful. That is dark. <laughs> I immediately jumped back to when he shot Virginia and celebrated and like patted the guy on the back like yay we did it we killed her mm -hmm. and then now with this look on his face oh he is so dark it's like they say the bad guys never see themselves as bad guys wes doesn't see himself as this terrible evil person he's just a raider who loves to do what he does if you think of this movie 
framed from the Raiders' perspective. Think of this movie with Humongous and Wes as the heroes of the film. A couple of down-on-their-luck Raiders trying to make their way in the wasteland, and then they come across this big old compound with a bunch of snobby, selfish people snubbing their noses at them. Okay, I have said things like this before and gotten in trouble for it. Yes. Yes, you have. I've given you a lot of guff for it. But you're right. From their perspective, they have a right to this fuel because they are stronger. Well, I don't necessarily want to say that. I do. Which, I mean, would get us back into that previous discussion. But from their perspective, they've got a horde to support. And they've got mouths to feed and appetites to... Satisfy. Satisfy. Thank you. And so all of this stuff that they're doing in their minds is completely justified. Yeah. There are plenty of people in this world who think that they are entitled to things because they are stronger. Mm. And it causes a lot of problems. All sorts. I'm not talking about one specific category. Politics, business, military, any category out there. There are people who think that they deserve things because they are stronger. And in this movie, they're the bad guys. Yeah, I think they really lose the moral high ground, though, with uh, how they torture and kill their captives. Yes, the compound dwellers killed the raiders that invaded their compound. I still feel like that was a separate situation, but that's another thing I don't want to get into because we already (laughs) spent a lot of time talking about it. Yeah, there is an argument to be made about survival of the fittest, Mm -hmm. that if you're not strong enough to defend what you have, then you're not going to survive. And in the modern society that you and I live in, and that I would assume most of our listeners live in, that's barbaric. But this is a much more barbaric society that Max is living in, Mm -hmm. where survival of the fittest is a way of life. I like how the phrase goes survival of the fittest and not necessarily survival of the strongest because you could take the word fit and interpret that as either strong or healthy or clever or strategic. Mm -hmm. The humongous and his horde are strong and they are mighty, but they are outwitted and outplayed by the compound. You know, the compound dwellers are not only able to escape, they're able to destroy the compound and eventually Max is able to just completely obliterate the humongous, leaving the horde shattered and leaderless. Yes. So this movie is a battle of survival of the fittest in two different interpretations of the word fit. Yep. Getting back to the minute. We've got now four raiders on top of this tanker. We've got Wes and Bearclaw, who we've been talking about this past time. We've got the bad cop that climbed onto the back ladder of the tanker. And he didn't climb up over the back barricade. He actually climbed around the side of the tanker, which seemed like a rather tricky path to take. But, you know, hey, live your truth, buddy. I'm not going to complain. Perhaps he was trying to stay in Max's blind spot. Hmm, Very much could be. And then, of course, you've got Crossbow Raider, the guy with the umpire mask, on the other side. Okay, that was the stupidest thing I just said. Max can't see the top of the tanker either. There's a lot of blind spots. So the entire tanker is a blind spot for Max. So I have no idea why that cop went around the side instead of over the top. Yeah. I mean, he eventually does climb back up to the top. It's just in the shot that we get progressing down the tanker. He seems to be more hanging on the side. Mm, Okay. Especially given the move that the bad cop is going to do tomorrow, him climbing down at all just makes no, no sense at all. Yeah. Of course, I don't know. I don't have the minute right in front of me. I might be remembering it wrong. Who knows? Well, our listeners know and they'll let me know. 
Anyway, one of the last things we see this minute is the crossbow raider with the umpire mask. He's climbing along the side of the rig, and he gets to the area behind the cab. And he looks over, sees the feral child. Feral child looks back at him. And then the crossbow raider, this is about a little less than the last second of the minute. He just kind of keeps moving, as if he doesn't think anything of the feral child. I think I need to disagree with you on that. I don't think we see enough of his movement to get a sense of if he was going after the kid or not. Mm -hmm. I think that he would have gone after the kid if the kid didn't scurry around the corner to Max's open door. Mm. Because that kid is a liability to Max and an asset to the Raiders. And if that raider got a hold of the kid and threatened the kid and, you know, so that Max could see, I think Max would have done something about it. Mm -hmm. I think the martyr should have gone after the kid. Even if that wasn't his plan, I think he should have. But the kid scurries around the corner and now going into tomorrow's minute, the raider just continues forward. Yeah, I I guess I could see it that way. If the feral child didn't move to get away from him, that he could have reached over and grabbed him. But I don't know. Yeah. I just, like you said, it's a very quick shot. It just looked to me as if the raider got around the corner, saw that there was a kid there, and then just said, huh, okay, and then just kept moving towards where he's going to be at the beginning of tomorrow's minute. Because like we said at the top of this recording, today is really just a huge setup for tomorrow. The bad cop is hanging at the front of the tanker. We've got Bearclaw and Wes moving around. The crossbow raider is moving along the left side of the tanker. Everyone is getting into position, and Max is struggling to reload the shotgun. It's so much setup, and tomorrow is going to be a good payoff. Minute 85 is really fun. It is. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Plus, it'll be a Friday episode, so we'll have some guests on. So, yeah, come back for that. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 84 of the Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.